Local voices, local conversations. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us here on Napa Broadcasting. You know, contrary to the old adage, sometimes the more things change, the more they change. Certainly Napa is a major case in point, as is the Napa Valley Expo. Once almost given up for dead or blight, it's been and will continue to transform into a vital, modern, and relevant part of the new Napa. In large measure, Bottle Rock and the earthquake also played a part, as well as some visionary and courageous leadership that's been riding the wave of change and not being drowned by it. Today we're going to talk about that as I'm joined by the CEO of the Napa Valley Expo, Joe Anderson, the head of the board of directors of the Napa Valley Expo, Yountville Mayor John Dunbar, and Jerry Gill of the Napa County Planning Commission and also a member of the Expo Board. Thank you all for coming in. Thank you. Thank you Thanks for, for having us. It's great to have you here. First of all, I want to talk, uh, John, start with you a little bit about uh, how the board came to the process that it's been going through with respect to really examining all the options, all the opportunities, really taking a whole new look at it in light of the things that happened during the earthquake, as well as the the new money and the new opportunities that Bottle Rock presented. Well, it was really out of a combination of necessity and desire. We had already been talking about, as a board, what we wanted to do to fulfill the potential of the Expo property and becoming uh, an even better um, and vibrant community partner and a community asset to the Napa Valley. The earthquake really put that in very real and immediate terms for us when we lost a couple of our buildings and others were damaged to the point of um, needing significant um, maintenance and upgrading and repair. So it uh, kind of sped up the process of reevaluating what we're doing on the campus as a whole, but the board really embraced and, you know, Joe has the history Uh, in particular, of reviewing what uh, opportunities we are making available to the public, where can we uh, modify, where where can we upgrade. And so the board really took that to heart, and we've uh, spent the last many months putting a a strategic vision together where we can um, make things even bigger and better for Napa. Joe, were you a little nervous about all of this? I mean, you and I were joking before we uh, went on the air, talking a little bit about the history, some of the ups and downs over the years, some of the other ideas that have been floated at various times. The community as a whole gets very sensitive about it. The fair has a lot of significance to people, so that when there's talk of change, people get a little nervous. Absolutely. Um, and and they do. They don't like change. Um, unfortunately, we didn't, you know, we didn't make the change happen. <laughs> kind of the earthquake kind of was a kickstart to the whole thing, like John said. Um, it, it made us really take a look at where we've been, what we've been. I mean, you know, the fairgrounds was built um, 70 years ago, 70 some years ago. And what made sense then doesn't necessarily make sense now. So as we're looking into the future and how we continue to be a, a, an asset to the community and the nonprofit organizations that use us for their major fundraising throughout the year, um, is how can we better serve that need? Well, Jerry, what role did Bottle Rock play in all this? The fact that it, it became such a success and that it became clearly what was going to be an ongoing revenue stream? I think Bottle Rock, what it did first and foremost was shine the spotlight on our expo property. And for many who had never even been there before or perhaps had been there for an evening event in Chardonnay Hall or maybe attended the fair, seeing it in a whole new way and changing that perception and that perspective. So the attention was squarely focused on the expo at that point because we had a, uh, a big time reason for it to be so. And using that as a catalyst 
best for the potential that we see as a board and as a community for the property. Mm-hmm. In thinking about all of this, and Joe, start with you. I want to talk to all of you about this. What role did the fair play? I mean, did you had to start every conversation with the idea that the fair was ostensibly going to stay there, so whatever you did had to sort of work around that as, as an important aspect. It, it, it absolutely encompasses the fair because the fair is a reflection of the community for what we do. Um, but with Bottle Rock, it you know, coming along when it came along, had we gone through the earthquake with and we didn't have Bottle Rock at that time, we would be in a much different situation with where we were. I mean, we were we had financial ability to actually raise some of the buildings we had to do and make the cleanup and actually get more get operational quicker. The fact is that without Bottle Rock, there might not have even been money then to tear the buildings down, very, to clean that's, up. That's from very the true. Yeah, absolutely. Where does the whole situation stand with the state at this point? I mean, the state owns that property. We know that. What is the relationship and how involved is the state in all of this? It, you know, funding from the state was cut off 100% in, 20, in 2010. Um, we got a little bit of funding that has come back into in the last couple of years in the, through the general fund. Um, there's been total to fares in California, about $4 million in support. And there was an additional $6 million in deferred um, maintenance um, that came through. Um, but when you take that $6 million in deferred maintenance and you split it up over 72 fares over the state of California, not everybody got some of that. Mm-hmm. Por- portions of fares got some of that. Mm-hmm. And how much did Napa get? We got um, $368,000, um, and it's for it's for two particular reasons. One is the restrooms located at the south end of Zinfandel Hall, which is currently the bingo building, um, is to clean those up and get that. The other is for Chardonnay. Most of the money is for Chardonnay Hall to um, do uh, fire suppression system inside the building. And did that have to be specifically earmarked when you got the money from the state, or is that what you all, the board, determined we to go for? No, they they actually determined those based you know, based on what money was available, what was on each fair's um, hit list as far as major projects that needed to be done. It had to have to do with health and safety. Um, So they dictated what the projects were, and they don't forward us the money. Um, They hold the money. We're, as we're moving forward with the project, we will pay it and then get reimbursed in the rears. Mm John, talk a little bit about how the visioning project and process worked in terms of setting out to do this. One of the main things, and it follows up on what Joe was just talking about uh, uh, with the lack of resources provided by the state, we identified as a board very quickly we needed to find new revenue opportunities. Certainly the work that went into um, bringing Bottle Rock to the uh, Expo grounds is a significant game changer. I mean, it really, it basically probably saved the fair, I think I could say, because even without the earthquake damage and the, and the costs that were associated with that, we were looking at a future that was very challenging for all of the um, events that we were hosting mm-hmm. on, on the grounds. Once we s- saw that new revenue opportunity presenting itself, it allowed us to evaluate what else can we do to raise money to support the core values that we have as a gathering place, as a recreational location, um, to continue the agricultural history that, that the Expo Grounds has and we, we hold very dear. So um, it has allowed us to protect some of our uh, core values and interests and in events like the fair, like 
Home and Garden Show and some of the other things throughout the year, it's also allowed us to attract new things like the holiday trees from Steve's Trees, the Napa on Ice, and some of the other activities that are bringing in uh, new energy, new demographics from the Napa Valley to come and experience the expo. Right. I mean, Jerry, some of the previous things that brought the community together at the fair <coughs> really are things that have either A, disappeared or been replaced by other venues that didn't exist way back when. Well, and I, I did want to go backwards a little bit, and I'm sorry if I'm messing everything up for you because I don't follow instructions very well, as you know, Jeff. <laughs> But I did want to talk a little bit more about the fair because we um, take that, again, very seriously. It is something that we hold dear. Uh, the Napa Valley Expo has a really interesting formal name, which is the 25th District Agricultural Association, and we are overseen by the California Department of Food and Ag. So we have a tie. We are Part of our mission is to hold an annual fair, and that is really a core um, of our work and our role in the community. But we have tried very hard to make sure that the community understands that the Town & Country Fair is a five-day event that happens on the grounds of the Napa Valley Expo, and we are tied very closely to it. But there are so, much other possi- so many other possibilities for the expo facilities and grounds that we are just now starting to scratch the surface of. And you bring a, a great point about when the fair was built, the expo grounds were built 70 years ago, as other fairgrounds and expo facilities around the state in similar uh, communities and, and very communities very unlike us, there wasn't a lot of other right. places for these things to happen. So this is where all of the community gathering happened. But now, not only are we competing with other venues like hotels and resorts and conference centers, we are competing with things that people are taking their time to do, like staying home and watching Netflix rather than going out, or there there's so many other entertainment opportunities and recreational opportunities. So um, we are at a point now where understanding this and moving forward in this direction, uh, I think the community would be pleased to know that we are the envy of many other sites throughout the state that hold fairs and have expo type properties because they are trying to find ways to bring people onto the grounds to use them to rent them to participate in the things that are happening and we are um, ahead of that in a way mm-hmm. so we're trying to catch up with with that as well did that answer your question yeah, or not would, at all would things be different if there was another location, another venue for the fair, I mean, as Jerry said, it's a five-day five-day event, and there's you know 360 other days of the year. Could you do more with the with the fairgrounds? Would there be more opportunities if, in fact, the fair could be somewhere else? I love it where it is. I think it's great where it is. It's accessible. Um, folks can walk to it. They can take public transportation. We're located right by the Napa Valley Transportation Hub and the um, the center. I think that being in a downtown district area of a city like Napa is very fortunate. I think, again, there are other community fairgrounds who would love to be in the center mm-hmm. of their town. So I think that being in the middle of Napa is actually an advantage for us. So it could probably happen somewhere else, uh, and it would be just as lovely. But I really do think we would miss that let's walk to the fair for lunch, which I have done with friends, to grab a corn dog on my lunch hour and then walk back to my office downtown. And that may not happen if it was some place far flung. 
John, talk a little bit about the nexus between the fairgrounds and downtown and how much was that a part of, of what you all took into account in this visioning process? I think Jerry was touching on it just now that uh, the expo is more than any one uh, you know, renter or event or activity, and that's what we're really trying to maximize. And when we maximize that potential, whether it's to attract uh, conference business or attract other recreational opportunities, we've had some very good uh, and very exciting conversations about uh, nonprofit groups as well as for-profit groups that are looking for sites to do what they do. Um, and we can be that location. It will attract residents, it will attract visitors because of the proximity to downtown, to the river. Uh, there's so much potential that we need to get that word out and remind people that there is more than what they may have thought of 10, 15, 20 years ago. We're looking to maximize the opportunities. We're looking at bringing in uh, potentially uh, retail partners, certainly nonprofit uh, meeting space, conference space uh, is in very short supply, not only in the city of Napa, but throughout the valley. Uh, but also bringing, as, as we've been referencing, opportunities for, for our community to come together, uh, whether it's for a music festival, it might be for a quilt show, it might be for any number of things. You know, we have so so much uh, commitment to our agricultural experience, but also the culinary experience, the the wine industry, bringing all of those amazing uh, experiences and opportunities together and putting them at the expo. That's, that's, kind of, that's kind of what's driving us forward. And in some cases, in an emergency situation where we have the facility to hold people safely and um, the capacity to do that. So, you know, we've, we've done that in the past as well. And I think that's another place where the community comes together for safety reasons or to be protected from something that's happening. Is there an opportunity to bring private developers into developing some parts of it, Joe? I would say it's always a possibility. I don't think that's really something that we're actually looking for. Um, we may look for some partnerships available in there. Um, whether we have a building that, that as we move through our master planning, if we get a process that has a building that has some retail space, we might look at that as, as revenue mm -hmm. generating as far as that, but not really as far as development mm -hmm. at this point. The Napa Broadcasting meeting room. <laughs> okay. I was thinking a little bigger than oh, that, well, but that's you know. okay. Yeah, um, I mean, w whether it was housing or hotels or retail, as you said, or whatever. Not not for all of it, but, but for parts of it, really. Yeah, we're not really looking for that at this point. Um, we maximize the space with the events, the kind of events that we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, we're trying to be able to be flexible with the space to be able to do more of, of those kind of events, whether it be you know, cricket, you know, playing on the fields or, you know, those kind of things that, that could, could possibly be coming our way. And it's important that we don't compete with other development um, happening in our community. So we complement, but we don't compete mm -hmm. with private developers. Right. What changed with respect to Bottle Rock becoming a long-term tenant? I mean, initially it was going to go on kind of year to year, really, and now there, there's a whole long-range plan in that regard. Right. We at 2017 embarks on a 10-year contract right. with them. Um, so it 
not only for us, it stabilizes some revenue inco- income stream that we can actually count on coming in um, in the next 10 years, which we will be used to, you know, fix up the facility as we move forward through our master planning process. But it gives them a little bit of stability, too, as far as, you know, being able to back up their acts and, and it has a longevity mm-hmm. in it. John, talk a little bit about the cost, because it's some of the things that have been talked about as part of this long-term planning. There's some real costs involved. To tens and tens of millions of dollars, more than Bottle Rock is, is going to be able to bring in. So money is going to have to come from somewhere else. And we are looking at uh, ways to be creative with financing. We have spent many months and numerous uh, not only board meeting conversations but community conversations about uh, what our priorities should be. Uh, we have a wish list of items. We have to evaluate which ones can generate revenue to support the other stages. Uh, and so we are um, considering you know, financial potential out of certain buildings or uses, but we also want to say, well, but we also want to prioritize upgrading where we feel upgrading is needed, providing different uh, experiences where we hear people want to have a venue that they don't currently have. So uh, we want to <coughs> continue to serve the community as best we can while dealing with the realization that we are talking about tens of millions of dollars in in overall planning, we need to generate some revenue and find some, uh, whether they be uh, bonding opportunities or other uh, financial opportunities through the state of California that will allow us to keep moving forward with our plans. Mm-hmm. Talk about what some of the things are that you've looked at. You, you mentioned bonds as a possibility, or are there, are there any kind of tax situations that you've looked at? I mean, what, what are some of the things that have been talked about at this point? Other than bonds and, and <laughs> uh, really it's, uh, it's uh, in partnership with the state, we need to look at these options. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, it, with my uh, background in a municipality, we had opportunities for capital investment that we may not have available on the state ground. So before we get into any of the real specific details of how we're going to finance We've been still analyzing what monies do we feel like we need and what are our options to raise those funds, what funds could we then leverage into even bigger dollars. And so uh, we're still talking to the financial consultants that have given us kind of a broad scope, Mm -hmm. and we have to drill down, okay, now that we see this is the price tag that you're estimating for a long-term 10-year projection, what do we really mean in real terms and real dollars in the very short term that we can start executing? Mm-hmm. I mean, you live with this all the time. I mean, th- some of the things that evolved were before your time, but in Yountville with uh, the state property there and the various uses for it. Well, it's true with, with the uh, veterans home in Yountville. It's an interesting dynamic there that often gets compared in some ways to the expo, mm-hmm. also with, with the uh, state hospital in, in, in uh, Napa as well. It takes uh, a good open line of communication with the state, which I feel that we have today. That isn't necessarily the case in all scenarios in the past, Mm -hmm. whether it be at the Veterans Home or or down here at the Expo. Uh, It's a very healthy conversation that's going on now. I feel that way uh, also with the Veterans Home and, and uh, the Department of Vets Affairs. It's, it's, for whatever reason, sometimes it's personality, sometimes it's 
the fiscal health of the state, uh, which is often the case, but uh, we have a very good dialogue. They're being very supportive of what we're uh, talking about here uh, at the Napa Expo. We can't move forward without their support, and uh, so we want to continue to have that that healthy dialogue. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, Jerry, you mentioned before what other communities uh, are doing and how they uh, kind of jealous in some ways of the opportunities here. I mean, what are, what are you seeing in terms of what's happening to other expo properties that the state has that are really kind of dying on the vine in, in different places around the state? Well, Joe might be able to answer that better than I could because I'm going to brag on our CEO a little bit. He was just uh, installed as the Western Fairs Association president. And so he's actually been traveling around and, and looking at other great examples, not just in California, but around the Western states. So um, I think that I'll start by saying that there are many fairgrounds and expo-type facilities in other communities that are in places that may be isolated or that are not quite sure how they become a facility that runs more like a business than they used to be kind of a, a nonprofit type organization. And so moving into the new economy and taking into account all of the things that communities need and the competition, the competitive set for whatever your facility might be, I think that's where some of the um, lessons learned can come in. And so how do we evolve as the fair industry, as the facility itself how do we evolve so that we become something that a community desires and so i'm going to turn i'm going to turn it over to joe on some of the other i think i would say envious rather than jealous because it sounds nicer but they are looking they are looking to us as an example for you know how did you pull that off how are you making it work and i think that um we have some of those answers right. but maybe and not is, all of them. and the other part joe is the is the reverse true i mean are there things that we can learn that you can learn from looking at things both right and wrong that, that other properties have Absolutely. done. Um, you know, Jerry kind of alluded, you know, you've got smaller rural fairs that are out, have facilities that are out in smaller areas that don't have the rental, um, the home and garden shows and those kind of, you know, rental streams that come in that are dealing with just their small communities. And so they don't have a lot of money. Um, there are, you know, I'm going to one actually in Blythe, the Colorado River Fair, who has one employee. And that's the fair manager. The fair manager doubles as the maintenance staff, and he, you know, he he sets up everything. Right. And they're they're living on a shoestring, and they they you know in that particular fair, they're living from you know check to check month to month basically. Um, there are other bigger fairs. Um, Del Mar, San Diego, is is one good example. Um, they're in a prime location. They have a huge metropolitan area to draw from. They have lots of opportunities, those kind of things. But they're also they're they're also talking to us, and we talk to them, vice versa, about Bottle Rock in particular. Is you know they started looking at that's a possibility. Something came up. They're now doing a thing called Kaboo, um, which started two years after Bottle Rock did. Um, that they're building on, and we've we've both tried to learn from each other. Yeah, I mean, some of these properties, I mean, some of them are obscure locations, but Absolutely. some of them, like Del Mar or Ventura, I mean, sit on beachfront properties. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Pretty, pretty impressive. Yep. And what are they able to learn from, from Napa? What are they able to learn besides Bottle Rock from some of the things that have kept things going here? Have an earthquake. Have <laughs> an earthquake. <laughs> no, I, I, I wouldn't <laughs> say that. I wouldn't recommend I, that. You know, the earthquake was kind of the kickstart that right. kind of pushed us into the planning. Um, 
there would have been things about it that I wouldn't have wanted. You know, we lost right. we lost nonprofit food booths that yeah. you know are a big part of the, what the fair is out of that five day event that we do. <clears throat> that you don't know, want to lose that community involvement, but you know we're trying to really work around it. How do we get those those groups back involved? How do we get the community back involved with with those kind of losses that we had? Um, building losses, the smaller buildings that when we lost Cabernet and Merle Hall, those were smaller wedding receptions, smaller event facilities that were available for rent. That you know some of these nonprofit organizations have have smaller events, not just the big crab feeds that happened in Chardonnay, but you know that's and they these nonprofits and local groups they they live on their events that's that's mm-hmm. how they you know keep their doors open mm-hmm. talk a little bit joe about how the fair has changed what what have you seen i mean you've been there a long time how has it changed how has it not changed and how might it change going forward well the fairs were originally set up as a showcase for the community and showcasing new agriculture and new products that kind of thing that came out well, in this day and age, you know, to go to the fair, you don't see the slicer dicer guy anymore because <laughs> right. you can go on QVC or any one of the mm-hmm. television shows or on your computer and you can buy anything and see everything. So it's the challenge is how do you get people off their couch and out into the community? And we've, we've relied strictly and really heavily on our community involvement, our exhibit programs, the animal programs that we have through 4-H and FFA. Those, you know, there's many... Many fairs that have 4-H and FFA that are declining in the state were very fortunate. Ours is very strong and getting stronger. And, you know, I think that's a big testament to our community and and the kids and what they're interested Mm -hmm. in. John, what's the next step in this process? I think as it relates to the fair conversation that we were just having, we are focusing um, on attracting next generation and broadening our demographics that are coming to the fair. We're looking to add technology, social media, uh, real-time activity that, frankly, if anybody has a teenager out there, um, you know, we need to have the ability to attract that young audience that wants to be there. It's a, it's a cool thing to do with your friends kind of thing. It's not just for the parents and the, and the older crowd. So we need to be responsive to that. And so it's that kind of opportunity that can really add some um, new excitement for the fair experience itself. When we speak more broadly about the expo, very similar uh, conversation. What do we need to bring that we're not already delivering for the community that that wants or needs uh, an experience, a venue, there are the traditional ways, and Joe just listed several mm-hmm. of those. But we are trying to think a little bit outside that that box of, you know, is it uh, a techno- technology experience? Is it uh, some type of customer service experience that can't be delivered somewhere else? More interactivity. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily coming up and looking at something, but it's being interactive and engaged in an experience you can't get somewhere else. And we're open to all ideas. You know, we say, come bring us your ideas and we'll we'll have a conversation, figure out how can we add you to the list of, of experiences that we offer. Now, you've had, Jerry, some community participation in this process so far. Is there more opportunity for that coming up? How will that play out? There's always more opportunity to speak to any member of the board of directors or staff about ideas. I think that the formal public workshop that happened a right. couple of weeks ago on the master plan was really the wrap-up of that 
particular phase of our work as a board. But again, just because there isn't a, a public workshop doesn't mean that there isn't an opportunity to share ideas, uh, share information, provide feedback. And we intend to use the master plan and our strategies as a way to communicate with stakeholders and potential partners and those that we would like to um, bring a little closer to the expo and to the town and country fair uh, as the as the reason for having a conversation and, and exploring opportunities and collaborative things that we can do together I think is um, now now the work starts mm-hmm. and to that point if people want to see where the master plan stands what some of the things are that that you've all talked about they weren't able to go to that uh, community meeting how can they access all of that they're welcome to come in the office anytime. We'll go, gladly walk them through and do any Is questions and answers. Is it up online? Yeah. It's not online yet. Um, when, once we once the board accepts it as mm-hmm. a as it's still a working document, but once once it gets accepted, it will be put online. Um, we do have every. I I would like to see that we're going to do a display during fair time, mm-hmm. so that when people when the fair is open, we've we've got that on display. Um, and it's important to note that all of our board meetings. I mean, there's a lot of people that know this, but there's a lot of people that don't understand. All of our board meetings are open to the public. We encourage you to welcome to our board meetings. The board meeting um, agendas and the dates are posted on our website as they come up each month. Um, you know, come on out, share your ideas, tell mm-hmm. us your thoughts. What's the website address? It's www.napavalleyexpo.com. Mm-hmm. And finally, John, what's the time frame on all of this? Well, some of it is uh, very immediate. We're having conversations uh, right now about the initial phases of our plans, which are significantly focused on improving the landscape that we have mm-hmm. available, in particular the turf, that will allow us to not only better serve current clients like Bottle Rock, but we have other clients that are very excited about having recreational space that uh, we, they can't do it in a, in a weed field with a bunch of, you know, patches of, of uh, mud, but they can if we are able to upgrade the open space that we have. That's, that's our priority right now. We're working on that as we speak. After that, we are looking at phasing in some of those other, um, moving some of the pieces around uh, you know, building an open space that allows us to relocate our uh, livestock barn that then opens up a potential in the, in the south part of the property to expand on our uh, overnight rental uh, opportunities, whether it be uh, an expansion of the RV park or we've already had conversations about other lodging uh, partners that would like to come on board. So um, it's already in motion. How much involvement is there, Joe, with what's going on around the Expo property? There's a lot of development, redevelopment, some new things that people are looking at for some properties that that surround the Expo. How much are you all involved in, in sort of keeping an eye on that, and we, maybe interfacing with we're, some of it? We're watching that. I mean, it's, it's, you have the fact that we now have the transportation center that's right next to us, so how can we better utilize that, get people to come to, the, not necessarily get in your car, but jump on the city bus and come out to an event at the fairgrounds. Um, we've, you know, we just went to city council meeting Tuesday night because we're looking at the, the roundabouts and things that, mm-hmm. that will affect on our, right. on our east side of the property. Um, so we're trying to keep tabs on all of that kind of stuff and pay attention to what that is, what's going to affect us or what, what that we're doing that may affect them in some mm-hmm. of those other projects. Is there ever any talk about either buying more property or selling off pieces of the property? 
not selling. There, there's, there's certainly points of the property that we'd like to acquire. There's, there's sections in our property that, that have little, either a house or a business mm-hmm. that's kind of jetting into the property. We'd like to, like to sooner, you know, at some time in the point to acquire those. Um, but that takes two things. One, money. Money. Two, cooperation from those willingness that want to sell property to us, that kind of thing. Um, there's, if, if, if there's an expansion point of anything outside of those little islands, it's, it would have to be to um, the south end of the mm-hmm. property. Joe Anderson, John Dunbar, Jerry Gill, I thank you all for coming in. Thank, thank, you, you. Jeff. thank you. Thanks, Jeff. We appreciate it. You're listening to NapperBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.